While you're doing that, let me just mention, uh, we each year we bring in our presbyters. These are men that have been in ministry for decades, faithful ministry, serving the body of Christ. Um, and uh, they're, they're deep wells, and it's a blessing for us at Living Stones to be able to drink from them. It seems like July has been um, Presbyter Month. At least two of, our, two of the three of our presbyters have been here with uh, Dr. Tetzola a few weeks ago and now Pastor Keith Tusi. But I want you to give a, uh, a very, very warm Living Stones welcome. I want to get Pastor Keith up here as soon as we can. Uh, please honor him. He'll share with you the larger picture for why he's been here this weekend. But hop to your feet. Let's welcome him to Living Stones this morning. Pastor Keith. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be home. I'm, I missed y'all. So everywhere I go, I run into these Living Stones people. I was in Honduras, and here comes the, the Living Stones crew. We, we're, we weren't even part of the same team, and there, there they were. I mean, we are part of the same team, you know. But uh, we weren't scheduled to be together, so what fun, you know. And then we had this great Ukrainian medical team. Come on, amen. And uh, we just had another team get back from Ukraine that there is, God is doing, incre- I mean, you, the, what's happening in Ukraine now is like Acts 29. What the church is doing there, they're writing another chapter. They're, they're writing manuals on how to plant churches that nobody ever even thought of, let alone did. It's just, it's astounding. To, I mean, to blow my brain takes a little bit. Are you with me? And I'm just... I'm flabbergasted, but thank you for your prayers and love and support for all that. As uh, Pastor Ron said, I'm one of the presbyters. That means I'm one of the overseers of this church, so I got my hands full. But uh, <laughs> we have a long-term relationship. Pastor Dick and Susie and I go back to 1988, and that's how we met uh, Pastor Ron and his family and and uh, uh, Pastor Ron, his dad, Sr., and Miss Carol. And so we've been connected for many years. And we're part of a group called NRP, the Network of Related Pastors. I'm the senior overseer of that group. And to be part of that group, you have to have moral and ministerial integrity. You have to have financial integrity. And you have to have missional integrity. So I'm just to be honest, a lot of people don't want to be a part of that because you're scrutinized. I mean, we run together. We do life together. Our lives are examined. And so I want you to know if you're new to this church that, that we have more accountability than any denominational framework because it's so relational. We really like know each other and we like each other enough to love each other well when we need to be encouraged, if you know what I mean. Okay, and uh, just even on the financial part, you know, NRP has a, has a CPA, that's how we do business. And uh, your church now is using that same uh, operation. And I guarantee you, they do things well, and they scrutinize everything. And so you are, there is integrity across the board here. I want to communicate that to you. And, uh, you know, Pastor Ron just mentioned about giving. But, you know, there are seasons of giving, just like on a farm or sows, the Bible talks about. And when the ground is open, that's when to sow. And you're in a season of open ground right now. And I know many of you have made pledges, and God bless you, and I know he'll help you to fulfill them. But even in your regular other tithes and offerings, I would encourage you just to be, if you can just be a little bit more generous right now, there's just a, an open season. The ground is open, and every little bit helps right now. I know, because I went over with Pastor Ron some of the financial things yesterday, as a matter of fact. So uh, it's just good to be here. For the, I'm kind of like an uncle. I'm, I, I, 
Yeah, I'm not the crazy uncle. That's Joe Warner. Every family has an uncle that's little, you know, that's Joe. I'm the sane uncle, at least most of the time. Okay, we got a, a little slide here we want to pop up for you. I want to tell you why I was here this weekend. But NRP launched something called uh, the NRP School of Ministry, and we have, we have two bases, one here in Crown Point and one in uh, Louisiana. And so we had all our students from around the country, our, our inaugural class of 23 was here. And by the way, thank you to all the servants who clean and open and run air conditioners and fed us. And, you know, and that just says something about this church. You know, you're building a facility that's not for you. You know that, right? And the reason I know that, because this facility is already not for you. Share it with us and share it with so many people. And I think the Lord kind of likes that. Amen. So God bless it. Amen. But anyway, I wanted to say thanks to all those people that really served and helped us. So we have this great school going on. It's a, it's a one-year crash course to get people ready for ministry. And probably under the sound of my voice is somebody this morning that really needs to be thinking about what your next step is. And maybe this is an opportunity. So I have a dear friend of mine with me. Uh, Casey Stubbs was an elder and was the mission director when I pastored Living Hope Church. And he's one of the students. So I'm going to invite Casey to come on up here. I guess we got a hot mic here. Amen. <laughs> so when I started the school of ministry in January, I had really high expectations because I know the quality of the people involved in the school. And those expectations were exceeded in every way. The school has an incredible level of education and training in the scriptures. It's just phenomenal. My favorite course was the one on worship. It was great. I mean, they've all been great. I really love the Gifts of the Spirit course. And I have been able to take these things that I've learned and see God move in my own life. And it's been amazing. And I've been able to take it back to the ministry in my church and apply the things that I've been learning. And I'm only halfway through the school, and I'm already seeing a great amount of fruit, and I'm expecting to see even more. So if you're thinking at all about giving your life to serve Jesus and you want to give your whole mm. life into the service of him and you need training, then I highly recommend you look at the NRP School and Ministry next time it launches. Hey, before I let you go, just tell them a little bit about yourself. Are you, do you like have a lot going on in your life? I've got nine kids. I'm the children's pastor. I do missions. I've got my own business and a couple other things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, that pretty much wiped out some excuses. <laughs> you know, you can't make excuses and go forward at the same time. Just saying. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're just going to move right into the Word. Is that all right? Okay, I hope it is because that's what we do around here. But anyway, 1 Peter 5, okay? I'm just going to read two verses of Scripture to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a little bit different style than most of you are used to today from me. This is not my usual flow. Usually I take a context of Scripture, six, eight, ten verses. You know, sometimes I'll read the whole chapter and, you know, hit three or four points and just pound it out and grind it out and what's God saying and how do we put this in action. But today I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to explain it to you as I go. I mean, we're still going to obviously deal with the Word. So let's read 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, and then I'm going to tell 
tell you why I'm using this, these two verses. Be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the Lord. So the last time I was here, I believe it was in January, it was a school ministry meeting, and uh, I decided to stay over because you have a really good preacher here, you know, and he's a dear friend of mine, and I love to sit under his ministry. And by the way, Pastor Ron is part of our national apostolic team, so he is a great voice and, and is helping, uh, you know, nurture a lot of other pastors right now, so always keep him in prayer. You're a sharing church. Thank you for everything you share. You're sharing with the world. You're sharing with your community. You're sharing with other men of God who need what you have here. So I just commend you in, in the Lord in that. And so I'm sitting on the front row right about where Casey, matter of fact, Casey, that might be the chair where the anointing fell right there. I'm on, I'm, I'm, uh, and I'm sitting there and the worship is going on. And uh, I, I'll just tell you this, the way I hear from God is most often in worship services. So I almost always have a notebook because I want to write things down. And lo and behold, I don't have my notebook. But, and I'm flipping through my Bible and I pull out this little envelope. Actually, it was a wedding invitation I had. And I pulled it out and, you, and this is actually it, okay? The, the real thing. The, the most convoluted sermon notes you've ever seen in your life right here, okay? I don't recommend this. Just, just I, I, I recommend this, okay? People say, oh. <laughs> Do you use notes? Listen, if we didn't use notes, we'd be here next week. I'd be, I'd, you, I, would, I, would, I would have bunny trails that you didn't know existed, all right? So th just thank God I use notes, all right? Or we'd be ordering lunch, okay? So, so anyway, I'm sitting there, and the word of the Lord comes to me. And I write it down, and I know Pastor Ron's preaching, so I think, well, he's probably going to call me to come give a word. He doesn't. He acknowledges me, you know, and says, you know, I'm, you know, whoever I am or whatever, and acknowledges me, and you guys clap and love me, and, you know, it's great. I'm part of the family. And, 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 then, he, and then he calls some other guy up to give a word. <laughs> Gee whiz. And I'm still getting it. I mean, it's still flowing. I mean, I'm still writing. Like, I'm, I'm like, man, this is, this is great stuff here. I'm going. But, you know, I think there's an object lesson here the Holy Spirit wants me to share with you. Okay, and was great as we were worshiping, the same thing happened this morning. And I'm going to tell you, by the time I get to the end of my message, you're going to know that young woman heard from God. That word is the capstone of my message today. And I just sat there with a the big grin on my face. You say, well, why would God speak to you and then somebody not call you up to see it? You know, here's the deal. God should be speaking to all of us. And we should be learning to share that beyond the walls of the church. And I know as a pastor, sometimes people get frustrated with me because we welcome the prophetic too. And they say, well, I had a word and there wasn't room to share. I said, you know what? Go to the mall. Go find somebody that needs that word. Hallelujah. You know, I don't want somebody preaching behind the pulpit. This is the only time they preach. They never share the gospel anywhere else. And I don't want somebody prophesying that doesn't prophesy anywhere else. Just something to think about. Okay. 
But, but there's a verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 27 says this, and here's the object lesson. And I think if we're going to continue to grow to be prophetic and we want to do that, right, that's the edge, that's the tip of the spear. Uh, look, look at what it says, 1 Corinthians 14, 27. It says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, if anyone thinks he's a prophet, a pro- now everybody who prophesies isn't a prophet. I'm certainly not a prophet. That's not my gift. That's not normally how I flow. But I can prophesy as the Spirit of God moves on me. Okay? But that's not my leading gift. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, here's the test on whether you're spiritual or not. I love the Bible because it defines things pretty plainly. Amen? Let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. Now, if you read everything before this, he gives them order how they should submit and and be willing to let other people prophesy and rejoice in that. Because everybody can't do it all one time. So, if you're beginning to move prophetically, be spiritual. And when Pastor Ron hands the mic to that other guy, even though you got a word... You rejoice. Now listen, there's another part of this that I think is not taught on a lot. And I want to quickly just go to Daniel, the ninth chapter. So God gives me this word. I'm going to share with you what that word was in a moment. Okay? Very simple word. But in Daniel, the ninth chapter, Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah. And Israel has been in captivity for 70 years. And Daniel's reading Jeremiah's prophecy and realized that captivity is about to come to an end. He's got a pretty clear prophetic word, right? I had a very clear prophetic word that God dropped in my heart there. So I think that does two things. Number one, it affirmed, because when that guy got up and shared his testimony that Pastor Ron called on, it was the same word I had. Isn't Isn't that interesting? But you know what that did to my soul? That affirmed me. I've been walking with the Lord for over 45 years. I never get tired of being affirmed by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God does something prophetic in you, and and then it gets confirmed, and it's, it's to give you confidence that you're hearing from God. Okay? So number one is affirmation, but number two is the point I want to share with you here, and that is this. Let's look at Daniel 9, 2, and 3 real quick. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah that the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years, which I just talked about. So what was his response? I want you to watch this. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and pleading and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So when God gives you a prophetic word, it's not just to give utterance to it, it's to give birth to it. So when that word comes, like when that word came to me, I wrote it down because I've been incubating on this word for months. What does this word mean for Living Stones Church? And I've been praying over this word. And so when Pastor Ron invited me to come this time, I asked the Lord, Lord, do I share this word? Because that's not normally how I flow. I'm more of a contextual type of pounded out guy, as I already said. But I felt like the Lord said, yeah, you're carrying this in your spirit. Now's the time. That's why I gave you that word, 
okay? I just, I think it's important that we understand how the prophetic works in a growing church where there are a lot of voices, okay? You will get your chance. You will get your opportunity. And if you're getting frustrated, go to the mall and find somebody. There's somebody that needs, that needs a word, okay? So this is important. So here was the word. It's time to reclaim your losses, The Spirit of the Lord was saying there are people in here that have learned how to resist the devil, and now he wants to take you to the level to take back what the enemy has stolen from you. Hallelujah. You know, if somebody was stealing from me, the first thing I would do would be stop them. Stop that, right? Then the second thing I would do is I'd, I'd demand repayment. Amen. And I believe, spiritually speaking, a corporate word for Livingstone's Church and for many individuals here is you've stopped the plundering. You've figured out how to shut the back door where the enemy has plundered you. And now it's time to demand justice and demand repayment for what the enemy has stolen from you. Now, I want to walk you through that a little bit. Say, I'm going to talk about the devil in church on Sunday. Yes. Now, listen, let's just be real here. Let's do a little fundamental understanding. There is a real devil. He's not a spiritual force or an evil presence. There is a real demonic being, a devil, one devil, many demons. From what we can understand from Scripture, a third of the angels of heaven. So there there are a multitude of demonic beings, okay? What you need to know about the devil is he's not God's evil twin. He's not God's equal. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent, okay? He does not carry the characteristics of God. And by the way, this is important to know. Do you know the devil cannot read your mind? Because he didn't make your mind. But he can read your words. And he can read your actions. And one of the ways you resist the devil is by not giving him word fodder and action fodder and give him something to work with in your life. Probably the biggest thing we need to understand about the devil and his motivation is he hates you. I got good news. God loves you. I got some other news. The devil hates you. Why does he hate you? Because he was cast out of heaven attempting to steal an inheritance that Christ gave you for nothing. Every time he looks at you, he looks at his inheritance that he could have had, but he didn't have. And you now are a son or a daughter, something he can't even imagine what that's like. And he is full of fury to come after not just you, but to come after your inheritance. That's what he's after. When Nebuchadnezzar took the children of Israel, it said he went after those who were rich, okay? Those who had a divine inheritance, those who were part of the royal family, it says. You're part of the royal family in God here today. And as we study church history, and we can even see in the scripture, one of the enemy's strategies is to hide behind extremes, In many parts of the body of Christ, the devil is never mentioned. He's never addressed, even though in the New Testament, there are 70 mentions of the devil in the New Testament. Jesus himself being the leading mentioner. Okay? So we know that's true. In other cases, you know, we blame the devil if we don't get a parking spot we like. I mean, the extremes are extreme. Now, if you were the devil, and I'm not suggesting you are, 
that would be a good strategy to have people completely ignore you or be completely fascinated with you. That's a good strategy. And it seems like the church has a hard time getting our equilibrium. But I just read you a very serious scripture that tells us to be sober and alert. So here's what I think that means. I think we should be sober and alert. And I want to try to walk you through that so that you can claim back and demand repayments for what has been stolen from you. This is very important, not just so that you can have a, a better life. Now, let's look. When you think about being sober, not being drunk, not being inebriated, not losing your faculties, not being off balance. You know, there are people that get drunk on their pain. There are people that get drunk on trauma. There are people that get drunk when they take a hit. There are people that get drunk when they have a victory. I'm not talking about drinking. You know that, right? They lose their equilibrium. Matter of fact, if you watch even sports teams, some of the greatest upsets and defeats happen when the team has had a great victory and then they go to sleep on their opponent. Right? We, we see this happen. You know, that same thing happens in the Bible. You study some of the patriarchs in the Bible. Their greatest defeats. You know, the defeat of Ai came after the victory at Jericho. How did that happen? Where, 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 the, where the commander said, eh, we, have to, we don't have to send a lot of soldiers. Just send a few guys out there. They can take care of the enemy. They were drunk. They weren't sober. Okay? So we need to be sober, We're not, not, not being inebriated either by our legitimate pain or our, our, our wonderful victories that we might have. That we be sober. We keep our equilibrium. We keep our footing. We don't flow to either extremes. We're not moved by what's outside. We're, moved, we're being moved by the directives of God. And then he says here to be alert, to be aware. It carries a sense of just being discerning. Just, just be like, you know what I call it? Being divinely suspicious. Like sometimes there'll be things that'll happen. I'll go like, I sense the enemy in this. Are you with me? Just, just be aware. Just, just, be, just be alert. And I'll just give you this. When something seems unnatural, it usually is. When there are things happening in life, and that's like a, not a natural response somebody has or a natural situation somebody has, it usually is not. Okay, there is a lot of demonic motivation going on behind it. And if we're going to claim our payment back and get our inheritance back, we're going to have to understand that. Now, here's Jesus' own words, John 10, 10. The thief comes, talking about the devil. Jesus talked about the devil. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. The fruit of his work is killing, stealing, and destroying. Stealing, Killing and destroying are things we can resist in faith and things we can claim back for the glory and the purposes of God. So what should our attitude be? As I was praying, you know, this word came to me and I, you know, like for months, this has been like stirring around in my spirit. Like, what should our attitude be? Like, how do you like communicate to people about getting back what's owed to them without them getting chippy? Or, or victimized even. Amen? And I just started thinking, well, God, what's your attitude? That's, that's a good standard. I mean, I, I read in like Exodus 22 where God says if a man steals a cow, he's got to pay it back five times. Well, for, I'll forgive you, but you've got to pay it back. Right? 
Proverbs 6, 30, and 31 are probably even more like reveal the character of God. He says, no one despises a hungry man if he steals to feed himself, but he still must pay it back. They don't despise the guy, but he's still got to pay it back. That's God's attitude. That's God's attitude about when somebody steals from him. That's God's attitude about when somebody steals from his church. That's God's attitude when somebody is stealing from you. You got to pay it back. There's going to be a payback day. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you got to understand that. Now, let's look to let's look to a text that describes this that might give you more of a uh, a, a visual picture than even you're comfortable with, okay? Let's go to 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, the first couple of verses there, the first four verses. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had carried out an attack on the Negveg and on Ziglag and had overthrown Ziglag and burned it with fire. So David's out of war and comes home and his home has been plundered. And they took captive the women and all who were in it from the small to the great without killing anyone, and drove them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. I could tell you I've had experiences like that in my life. There have been a few times where I didn't know if there was a tear left in me for the brokenness I felt, okay? It's okay to be broken, but it's not okay to stay broken, okay? I used to like tell our church it's okay to suffer, but you're not allowed to suffer alone. We're a team, we're a tribe, we're a group. You're part of a church that doesn't want you to suffer alone, okay? You have to understand that. But now we go to the end of the chapter. Here is the response. (laughs) Here is the response. Verse 17. Okay, this is not G-rated. All right. And David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. How many people remember Charles Bronson? Death wish. Right? Some of you young people, you're going to have to look this up. Now, now I'm just telling you, Maybe I need some prayer or something, but I, I love a good vigilante movie. I'm just, I'm just telling you. When the good guy gets the bad guy, I love it. Hallelujah. And there's that scene in the movie where they kick him out of New York because he's cleaned up the streets and they send him to Chicago. I'm just saying. And as he's coming into Chicago, into the airport or subway or whatever it is, there's some guys harassing a young girl, and they're mocking him, and they're walking away, and he just goes, I'm coming to get you. (laughs) I'm telling you what, I think we've got to take this serious. There are things that are stolen from you that your inheritance 
that really are for somebody else. My inheritance is for somebody else, right? My, the, my legacy is not so I'll have a nice tombstone. It's so that somebody else can live on that legacy, all right? Well, that's what we got to understand. So it's not being selfish. Listen, I know about loss. I've had, I've had personal losses in my life. I haven't thought about this in years lately, and, uh, you know, and this kind of thing kind of came up in my spirit a little bit when I was preparing, and uh, I'm not altogether comfortable sharing it, and I don't know that I've ever shared it in a public forum. Some very close friends know to me, but, you know, I, we started pastoring very young, and I had some very good advice from somebody. They said, Keith, start setting money aside now because, you know, you're a pastor. You're not going to have a pension. Uh, we had, as an ordained minister, you can opt out of Social Security, and that's what we did. So that meant I had no Social Security. And so even though we started with nothing and we had a young family, we diligently saved. I mean, every little bit we got, we took a slice out, no matter what. I mean, when we didn't have food hardly, we would take, I mean, I diligently did it, did it. And then when I moved on, and then we passed another church, and the church grew, and they were able to add some stuff to it. And then we went to planted another church, and the same thing happened, and the church grew, and they were added to it, and we did it. And then I got called into Operation Rescue, and all hell broke loose in our life, and everything was going crazy. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't have any kind of a salary or anything then. We were, we were living by faith. And in the midst of this, I get a phone call, and it's a credit card company. They say, Mr. Tusi, we're calling about your overdue credit card. And I said, well, that's funny because I don't even have that credit card. They said, oh, yes, you do. And they said, and they went down, they read me everything about me. They knew my kids' names. They knew my wife's names. They knew my previous addresses. And somebody, I'll tell you who it was, it was my insurance agent. When I moved from Pennsylvania, he had all my information. And he got into a gambling situation. Not only did he run up thousands of dollars on multiple credit cards, he took my whole retirement account. Every penny that we had saved meticulously for years was completely gone. He ended up going to jail. Of course, you know, it was a federal crime and they prosecuted and went to jail, but I never got any payback. That's part of the reason that we have a criminal problem, by the way, just a social justice issue. God demands payback, not just punishment. Okay? So, you know, we, we could fix the criminal justice system with two words, chain gang. <clears throat> just my, just throwing it in there. No, 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 but payback. God, God is interested in payback. And by the way, if you owe something to somebody, you need to pay it back to them. You need to have integrity. And you need to pay it back. If you pay a dollar a month, you need to say, I'm going to pay this thing back. If you owe somebody an apology, you need to pay it back. All right? If you have something in your possession that's not yours, you need to pay it back. You need to have clean hands and a pure heart so that God can bless your bread and bless your basket. So I understand what loss is like. And I can tell you, we've recovered. And I don't even think about that hardly. Amazing is it? It amazes me that I don't think about it. But I'm going to tell you, well, I was devastated. Because, you know, we came out of, Penny and I came out of nothing. I mean, we, you know, we were, you know, her not as bad as me, but I was raised, I mean, I could, it was poverty, you know. And, and, and that have, you know, 
that loss hit us at such a vulnerable time in our life when we were out there on the tip of the spear and we're taking so many hits in the media and being sued in federal court and being dragged in front of the justice system and, you know, they were threatening everything. I was being, I mean, got beat up a couple times. I mean, all this stuff is going on. And then to find out somebody that I trusted no less plundered me. The sense of loss was overwhelming. And you know, I'll just show, throw this in here. You know, one of the hardest things was, was shame. I felt really stupid. Like, how could I let this, I mean, this guy had forged false statements. I mean, he was really good at what he did. The FBI agent to testified, of course, that this guy was an operator. He, he learned the system, you know, because he did it to a couple other people too. But I felt such shame. And as long as you feel shame for your mistakes or whatever complicity you had in something, you'll never get free. I'm just going to throw that out there. You've got to get rid of shame. Okay? That's why the presence of God is so important. That's why that you learn how to worship, because when you hear the word of the Lord, it will deliver shame. God will never put you in shame. He'll draw you to himself. He'll put you in conviction so you don't have to stay in shame. Okay? You have to understand this. But he will not keep you in shame. So here's where I want to go this morning. Okay? Like I said, this isn't usually the way I preach. I'm kind of bobbing around on this, this prophetic little trail here, you know, but I'm talking to you about being sober. I'm talking to you about being alert, and I'm talking about going into the enemy's camp and taking back what he's stolen from you. Okay, now let me show you what that looks like. Now, one of the things I learned, one of the greatest lessons I've walked away from being involved in the pro-life movement is ministering to so many post-abortive people, men and women, that were complicit in the loss of their own child. That's a pretty heavy thing, isn't it? But you know what else? Do you know what's driving the pro-life movement today? Those people. The people that suffered the greatest losses declaring, I'm not going to let somebody else suffer the same loss I had. That is the spirit that is driving. That's how I got involved in the pro-life movement. Because we had young women coming into our church that had already lost a child that had been deceived and lied to and ripped off and stolen from. And when they shared their broken heart, I knew I went from being principally pro-life to actively pro-life saying, we got to do something about this and we got to do it now. And there was an army of those those women now that are covering the earth and prophesying to people and standing up, you might not know that when you see some of these incredible spirit-filled women out on the front row, they have a history where the enemy robbed something from them and they decided they're taking it back and they're taking it back for somebody else. And that's how you don't get chippy. You get your inheritance, but you don't get it for you. I lived through this. I walked through this. Now I'm going to help other people not to have the same thing happen to them. There are people here, you've been delivered, you've been blessed, you've been anointed. God has done great things in your life. There's been restoration in your life. And the way you get back what the enemy stole from you is making sure he's not able to deceive and lie and trick and steal somebody else into the same bondage in Jesus' name. How do you know you're getting healed? Let me ask you this question. How many people know they need to be healed? Let's start there. 
You know, I'm telling you, it took me years to figure that out. I'm just being honest with you. And then when I realized it was going to be a lifelong process, it was like, oh, man. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, I got more, I got more of this to come? But heal, see, healing is not about perfection. It's about progress. And here's how you know you're healed. It's not that you don't walk with a limp. It's that you walk towards others and you walk toward tomorrow and you don't think about yesterday. Did you hear me? It's not that you don't walk with a little limp. It's that when somebody asks you how you are, like that scenario I just told you, I, I got to be honest with you, I can't even tell you the last time I talked, I thought about it. Penny and I probably haven't had a discussion about that in 20 years. I'm not exaggerating. Because it's just not part of us anymore. We've been healed. We've been, we're walked through it, okay? And so when I was praying about this word and, and giving birth to this little nugget that Pastor Ron wouldn't let me share, Oh, I'm a presbyter. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you. Well, here's what's great. So he calls this young guy up. I forget his name. I, I think I wrote it down here, but my handwriting is so bad I can't even read it. It's like hieroglyphics. You need the gift of interpretation, you know? He calls this young guy up, and, and, and this guy got a new job because he wouldn't submit to the vaccine stuff, and, you know, he was, you know, concerned about, you know, the loss, and then he got a new job, and it was better, and, and it was all the, and it, everything was better, and it was another confirmation. So I'm sitting there saying, that's the word I had. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's how the prophetic works. That's how the prophetic works. God is good. Amen. Listen, we're going to pray. I want you to stand up with me. The way you get it back is you take what God has done for you and you give it to somebody else. Lift up your hands right now in Jesus' name. If there's some, when I was speaking, if there was a loss that hit you, some trauma that hit you, you knew you were being lied to, stolen from, ripped off, in Jesus' name say, I want the devil to pay this back. He is going to pay it back in the name of Jesus. Somebody else is going to get blessed. I'm going to pay it back in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he's required to pay it back. He's a, he's a thief and a liar in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Ron. Hallelujah.